Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I am joined by, well, actually, what should I refer to you as? I just recorded a podcast with Paul, not an Apple fan, and uh, we just kind of called you individual number one. What would you like to be called? You can call me the enterprise guy or the uh, server guy. The en- all right, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say server I, guy. I, yeah, I, I do have a reason to be anonymous, and it's a lot to do with uh, the line of work I do in my career, so... No, absolutely. This isn't the first time someone's been anonymous on the show. So um, you were in episode eight of Broken Silicon. That is the correct. Cloud server engineer. So now you're back again. We were hoping to connect one more time at the end of the year to kind of look back at all of this um, security problems with Intel. It's a nightmare. The other day we had uh, MDS uh, number two, uh, zombie mm-hmm. load version two, um, which impacts Cascade Lake Xeons. <laughs> You know, I was thinking, should you enable uh, hyper-threading on Cascade Lake since they did a lot of mitigations, uh, a lot of the mitigations, or should I just simply hold the hard lines? It's, I got my answer, disable it. Um, it's just, it's uh, really just too risky. And the way they're doing patches is they're basically patching them one at a time based on what researchers are finding. And so if they're patching it one at a time, you can't do that with hardware. Uh, it's not like software where, okay, you can patch one at a time because you can continually patch them. You can't mm-hmm. continually patch CPUs. You need to get ahead of the entire problem, which is you got to fix the architectural issues. Yeah. And you just got to be transparent about it. You know, let us know. You know, we know about it. We're all, you know, you're saying that we don't know. We all know. You know, all the, the guys I talk to and uh, when I go to these uh, professional meetups, uh, we talk about this and, uh, we all know. We're all aware of it. And uh, I mean, it's, it's gotten to a point where, I mean, when they say Intel and security, we all laugh at these places. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, and people places doing like YouTube Red, comments even, too. I mean, it's well, just a I mean, complete I mean, no, joke. we're laughing at. Oh, at real, in front of real Kubernetes people. Or, I mean, Red Hat, uh, IBM, we laugh at it. It's like Intel and security. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's actually not a laughing matter because it's really disruptive. And. It's gotten to a point where it's actually impacting people's personal lives, where they're losing weekends, they're losing time with their families. I too am uh, getting, I'm actually getting a little burnt out. I can only imagine. I mean, I, you know, like I have a friend who has a Broadwell E, it was actually an engineering sample that he got and it has um, 10 cores, 20 threads. He got it for like $240 in 2016. It was an incredible deal, but he uses it for gaming. And some multitasking. So he's like, yeah, I'll turn off hyper-threading. I still have 10 cores. That's far more than enough for gaming. He doesn't care. But unless, uh, and I've even seen some gamers with, you know, like eight cores say they don't care. They'll just turn off hyper-threading. But for anyone else, it's, I can, I just, I, I understand that some gamers don't understand how it, it, it doesn't affect them that much. But it really does. And, it, and you know, it actually will eventually because the new Cascade Lake X, like i9s came out and they found that they actually have 3% lower performance than the previous Skylake 8 X. And it's because they have some hardware mitigations in there. For wow, that's news. And so even without patches, it's 3% for the built-in. It does help. I mean, but I mean, if you're going to have an impact where you have performance regression, I mean, granted, it's going to be better. I mean, I rather I rather have security over performance any day. I think any any professionals are going to be wanting security over performance any day. But I mean, if you compare it to the competition, you know, they're able to get the performance without the security issue. 
you shouldn't have to make a trade-off. Yeah, so let's do this. I want to go through the securities quick again, but I have a couple reader mail questions that I think can kind of start things off well as well. So Matthew Lane writes in, just like people who support on Patreon can, and he says, how does the cost of electricity to run a server CPU over its lifetime compare to the cost of the CPU itself? I ask because I wonder if it will be ever become a consideration for a company lowering their electric bill by using a more efficient setup. What what percentage of the measured cost is the electricity it uses versus the how much way, the upfront? The power is going to be way more costly than the uh, cost of the CPU. Let's take a look at my old Xeon. Uh, the, the ten co- it's a dual ten core. The two chips costs about fourteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It would cost me in a, over the lifespan of that machine. It will cost me about uh, three thousand dollars in power. Mm-hmm. That's uh, over eight years. Yeah, and so is it like seventy five percent of it, eighty, or is it like just like ninety percent of the consideration is literally just how much energy it uses versus upfront cost? Depends on your life cycle. Um, if you're on a three year life cycle, you know some enterprises are on their three year life cycle, then power cost doesn't really make that much of a difference. You just you want the fastest machine possible because you're going to upgrade on a more frequent basis. Uh, if you have a life, if you were talking about life cycle of seven, seven plus years, which mm-hmm. I'm more on an eight to 10 year cycle. And I do that so I can make the machine affordable. You know, these are mm-hmm. five figure machines. These are machines over $10,000. It's not easy for an individual to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, power cost is a major consideration because it's actually, because the longer you hold the machine, the more the power cost accrues over time. And your powers actually makes up more of the cost of than the cost of the machine. And, and so this leads me to another reader mail, actually from someone on YouTube. So this guy's lucky I noticed him. But he said, Matt Harley says, does the fact that Epic Rome has four times the performance per dollar than Xeon even matter? Like, does it matter that it's four times better performance per dollar than Xeon? Should they have charged more than Intel's charging for their Xeons? You mean AMD? Yeah, like because right now AMD's cost for their like sixty four core chip is like vastly lower than some of Intel's highest end products. I'm, Should they I'm have charged pretty, less? I'm pretty. I know happy. you're happy they are, but do you but, think they should have? I'll be honest. Um, I didn't say this, but um, because of Netcat and due to where my server was actually located, mm-hmm. and due to the hostile nature of uh, where I operate, and yes, I've been attacked, and I've actually been knocked offline by a DDoS attack. Inside the data center, so I've been attacked, um, and every data center I've been into, I've been attacked, and so this is kind of normal. It's part and parcel of what I do. Uh, this is on a personal basis. Now, in my current employer, I don't see that. Um, there's other teams that actually deal with that, but when I was in and uh, working for a healthcare company, um, then we've seen I've seen that quite a bit. I see it every day. So. Uh, You've seen these attacks that have made AMD's advantage in security, well, the overwhelming advantage in security matter more and more. It's going to play a role. Um, there's two types of classes of attacks. Let's go through the um, the hardware flaws. You talk about Sure. Mail. So yeah. that was yeah. the first bullet point I had uh, eventually since I got through a few reader mails. But let's just go there. So let's just yeah, start I, from the beginning again for everyone who hasn't listened to the other episode and just to kind of frame up our overall conversation. 
I mean, when did all of this really start for you? Like, was it late 2016 or was it late 2017? Like, when did you really start to find out? About Meltdown? Yeah. Meltdown came out in 2018. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was right at the uh, right at the, the start of the new year. Mm-hmm. And how did you first hear about it? Uh, it was actually uh, my brother. Um, he told me about it. He says, mm-hmm. hey, do you know about this? There's a hardware flaw that actually allows people to jump virtual machines. And like, he got it from like publicly released information. He didn't get it from I don't know. I have internal to, memo. Yeah, I never asked, you know. Um, he actually works in the telecommunications side industry. Mm-hmm. So. so there was Meltdown. And how big of a deal was that first one? Well, it was a shock. I mean, you're talking about hardware flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never, up until then, we never had to deal with hardware flaws. We always dealt with software flaws. And so when that happened, did you see how many more things were going to, did you foresee that there'd be so much more or did you think this was like a freak occurrence, I guess, or what, what no, was no, everyone no, no, thinking? No, 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 Once when you, when you read the details, you, you knew that things are different now. Things have changed. Um, the error, the paradigm has shifted. The error has changed. You, you can't go back to a time where you can trust, implicitly trust your hardware. You have to treat your hard, hardware just as uh, suspect as your software. Mm-hmm. You have to validate that. So, and and now you have to validate firmware. So you have firmware attacks. Uh, but but the thing is that I knew Meltdown wasn't going to be the last of it. What I never thought was how fast. Yeah, we're talking about eighteen months to the time when Meltdown came out to the time where my own server has fallen actually fallen below my minimum performance requirements, which forces, which will actually put me in a situation where I have to shut down even my critical mission critical, where I can't shut down those loads. I just can't mm-hmm. shut them out. And so it actually fallen below my minimum performance requirements. Um, that's to, to allow us to communicate. And that happened. So when meltdown, then specter, right? Um, meltdown. I mean, it was a shock more or less of the fact of where the flaws were occurring and what it can do. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the mitigation, it wasn't that bad. It was, I mean, only you only probably took like a five to seven percent hit at most. Mm-hmm. It was not that bad. So okay, fine. If it was like you find a flaw every six to nine months, mm-hmm. I would have not considered even Epic at that point because you really want to wait until the software support matures, and that takes about five to seven years. And that's why mm-hmm. I said five to seven years. Mm-hmm. In my experience, that's how long it takes for things to mature so that when you use them, you're not going to have a problem. And if you do have a problem, all the problems are already solved. That's mm-hmm. why I don't like to be early adopter. That's why a lot of enterprises don't like to be an early adopter. And that's why we have the appearance to a lot of probably a lot of your consumers that we're fuddy-duddies. Mm-hmm. You know, believe me, we like text. We like latest. What do you, grades, yeah, what do you mean by fuddy-duddies? Um, people that just are staying with the old, same old, same old, they don't change. Oh. Yeah. We do this because we don't want things to fall apart. We don't want things to happen, bad things to happen. And a lot of these systems, they're mission critical and, and you can impact someone's life. You can actually kill somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and you know, you said this in the previous podcast that I thought was an interesting a point explanation, which was the ability to just know that everything's going to get 10% better every year. And so then we can just upgrade every four years or something for yeah. a 50% overall improvement. Yeah, you know, predictability is important. 
most mistakes that are made is like human error. And if you can predict, even if it's just 10%, the exact performance change in your cycles, that allows you to just plan everything long ahead of time. It just makes yes. life easier, minimizes human error. And that's yep. why everyone in, well, should I say, well, gamers complained about the lack of performance increases from Intel eventually. People in the server space just seem perfectly happy. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. We we don't mind it. We 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 like things. You know, it's when things change rapidly. That's when you can have problems. Mm-hmm. So and and uh, I hate to say it, but uh, the whole uh, tech industry is really designed around the enterprise. I mean, that's what actually pays the bills. Oh yeah, it's it's what pays the bills. I mean, so we went from meltdown to Spectre. Uh, yeah. How bad was Spectre? Again, insignificant. Insignificant. Performance wh- insignificant. Which one came after that? I don't even remember. The big one for me was Foreshadow, L1TF. Right. That was the big Once I put that on, I saw immediately a, a 17, at least a 17% performance hit right off the bat. And so that was, and that was in March, I believe. So it was only three months into it. And you already lost close to 20%. And I had to shut down, start shutting down loads at that point. That's gave me the indication that, wait a second, maybe I might have to, I can't wait five to seven years on Epic. I might right. pull that off. So, but that's not enough for me to shut down. Hyper-threading, I'm still getting good performance. Yeah, it's degraded, but still enough. It's, I'm able to still function. It's not the end of the world. And that's clearly not going to be enough. And, and Naples was simply not enough a difference to justify it. It just wasn't enough. Naples from AMD. Yeah, Naples, yeah. Yeah, and so I remember this time period around Foreshadow, though. I remember, I think, you and some other people in the uh, Moore's Laws Dead Discord were talking about how they're moving up plans a bit. Like, this is when they really had to start considering things. We had to start considering it. Mm -hmm. And because the thing is that Server purchases are usually planned years in advance. I mean, just even myself planning my own purchase where I don't have any red tape. If you deal with inside the companies, you have to deal with bureaucratic, you got to deal with bureaucratic processes. Right. Um, It's just the nature of all organizations. It is what it is. But just myself, I don't have any bureaucratic red tape. I can just go out and buy. But Mm -hmm. even myself, because it's such a significant investment and because of the time and labor. And every time when you do a server migration, you're going to encounter risks, encounter problems. And so it's always best for, to not have to do a migration, to not have to do an upgrade. Mm-hmm. I just like to leave the server there and let it run. Let it work. Not have to yeah. touch it. That's kind of where I am too, just with my PC, because I use it for mining, rendering, making all of these podcasts. And I'll just speak for myself. I mean, like, Yesterday I recorded a podcast. Today I'm recording one. I'm recording one Monday, and at the same time, these can take hours to to render and then upload to YouTube. I actually am churning out a ton of content to where it's like, yeah, my, I have an old quad core. I really could utilize the new the new stuff AMD has, but I just got to time it to be the right time where I have some free time to do it. it it's I it just takes Getting so much downtime. time. And, and what if one of the components I ordered didn't work? Then I have to send that back. I have to consider, am I going to rebuild my old system while I wait for the new part to get replaced? Like all that is, it's a nightmare, even just for me. I mean, I can, again, I can only imagine how bad it can be for a server. Time is money. Yeah. 
And I remember with Foreshadow as well, that's when we really started to see the capacity problems ramping up with Intel. Because like you said, Foreshadow changed things. I think that's about when it was like, oh, we don't need, just need to buy more chips to make our servers bigger. We need to make them way bigger to also probably account for whatever else can come out soon, right? Yes. Yeah, that's when you start seeing the capacity impacts. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I was still on the sidelines, but I started moving up plans. And the thing is that I had to start developing plans and scenarios right away. In fact, mm -hmm. I was starting to develop scenarios when Meltdown hit. I was already developing scenarios mm -hmm. already because under under normal circumstances, it usually takes me just personally anywhere from 18 to 24 months to plan out a server purchase and the migration and mm -hmm. the uh, post uh, uh, and the post uh, migration processes. It's, it's two years. It's one and a half to two years to plan out mm -hmm. the entire move. And so what you what's much easier to do instead of saying now we got to do all this validation, we need to write all this software for AMD chips. We can just double the size of our server. It's going to yeah. cost a lot, but it's much well it's much easier to even just conceive of that solution cuz you're just doing twice as much and you know how to do that. Yeah. And I think that's something automated. a lot of people continue to just not just not get when they talk about Intel sales is how much of their capacity problems are not just because gamers are buying more of their CPUs. They're not. Their gaming sales are down. What's going on is people are just massively, massively ordering server. It's all servers. Will, yeah, and a lot of the these companies, there may, we'll see, come a time where they just stop ordering because they've switched to Epic, and all of a sudden you go from overcapacity to who knows how many. That time could come, but not not with Rome. Mm -hmm. Not quite yet. No, no. Um, I think you're going to start with Milan. I don't think you're going to see it with Rome. And the reason is the software mm -hmm. is not mature. Mm -hmm. And I it's, can attest to you that because, uh, unfortunately, because of my circumstances, I can't buy new servers because I'm limited to the amount of space in the data center. So I can't spread out. It's not feasible. Mm -hmm. So for me to go and buy another Intel machine, with the knowledge that there are going to be more problems coming down the line, and given the higher cost of that Intel machine, it's not worth it. I'm not going to throw good money at the bat. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of where we're getting to. And so then, and so what happened after Foreshadow? Then what was the next thing to drop? Oh, uh, you have uh, there's a number of them. You got Port Smash. You got you know TL Bleed. Those are not really, they didn't really affect performance-wise. It's just, you know. Mm -hmm. more I don't even remember those names at all. I don't know. If that's I because they weren't them. as impactful in terms of performance. Mm -hmm. um, you got TL Bleed, you got Port Smash, you got Spoiler. Then you got MDS. And that's really the big one. That's the second big one, too. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, spo uh, in fact, L1TF or Foreshadow, along with MDS, the, the four MDS uh, vulnerabilities are the the ones predominantly responsible for the massive performance. And I mean, that one cost me would end up costing me almost about 40, if not more than 40% of my performance. Mm -hmm. And that's what hyper threading turned on. Now I'm reaching the halfway point. And, and that's when you start wondering if hyper threading is going to be worth it. Because now, because the reason I have hyper threading is that I can run lots of workloads. If I yeah. lost half my workload, what's the point of hyper threading? I might yeah. as well disable hyper threading then that eliminates L1TF along with MDS because now you're not going to utilize those mitigations. Mm -hmm. And I find out I get my single core performance back. Mm -hmm. 
In fact, the only performance I get hit is the is meltdown. And so you only get about 10% at most mm-hmm. performance hit. I mean, you're going to get some, but at least your, your single core performance is only down by 10%. But you lose half your throughput. And so my machine now goes from a 43 machine down to a 20 core machine. Mm-hmm. That's just not enough. And in fact, it, that I used to be able to run 137 virtual machines, and they're not like virtual machines that are sitting there doing nothing. They're actually doing something. Yeah. Uh, they're not taking the machine all the time. That's why I can load, I, that's why I can overcommit the CPUs, but they are working and they're sizable. Uh, by the time I had to uh, cut down, get rid of hyperthread down to, uh, can I even run more than 55? Mm-hmm. That's, and that's so, didn't zombie load or netcat come right after this then? Netcat came after uh, MDS, and that to me was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the end of the block. I, I I did a video on it pretty quickly where you, where I talked about how I believe you said it looks like you're just going to have to turn off virtualization. Is that right? No, no. I, I think you miswrote. Um, it's okay. I understand. Um, it doesn't disable this virtualization. Uh, what you're doing is you're disabling the shared cache, CPU cache, mm-hmm. by all your I/O devices, like networking devices. And I also found out that it also your disk I/O gets used. So I yeah. disable. It's called in, in the firmware or BIOS. It's called uh, DCA or Direct Cache Access. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you also have to disable it for your I/O MMU as well, which is you use that for pass through. Now it's disabling that that breaks my GPU accelerator. I can't run it. <laughs> that, Which that is kind of a problem for some people when yeah, you just so, have so, to not so use I that. Can't disable it. Uh, but disabling DCA, you instantly notice that your, your disk I.O. gets slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Your disk performance gets slaughtered. And I noticed that the CPU wait time just going wildly. It started going up and down wildly. That's because of the disk. It used to not do that. And the impact was just too large that I had to re-enable it. The problem is that uh, while the uh, researchers have said that you can catch passwords, most people aren't going to, most companies aren't going to allow SSH access going from the outside world. That's just dumb. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the point is that you have a new attack vector. And so while Mm -hmm. maybe you're not going to catch SSH passwords, you can use that to catch all sorts of other goodies. Who knows Mm -hmm. what they are? And the other thing is that is that you don't have to just think about one attack vector by itself. You can stitch a, a whole litany of attack vectors, any kind of attack vector, and stitch them everything together to try to get access. Mm-hmm. And and you don't need to have the complete picture. You don't need to get all of it. No. What you can do is you can get pieces and parts of it. Then you run it through a GPU accelerator. And I'm I learned this from a. Uh, from another professional meetup where a pen testing company basically said that bad guys, uh, crackers, are actually utilizing GPUs to crack passwords. If it's a repeated operation over and over and over again, a GPU is pretty good at it. So they can use these attack vectors to sniff out and get as much data as they can, then use the GPUs to fill in the blanks, and and then... hit right. the sites over and over again. You're, you're stitching together different attack vectors together to create an attack. And these things are going to get automated. You're, we're coming out with AI. You can actually 
automate mm-hmm. decision-making process with AI to make these attacks. And the likely user of these attack vectors, not so much even organized crime, they're not even that sophisticated. They're mm-hmm. sophisticated, but not that sophisticated. The ones I'm more concerned about at this point is nation-state attackers, because that's right. the one that are going to utilize this type of attack vector. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'm more worried about. And I think a thing people for, and so that, yeah, so this leads me to two things I really want to highlight that again, I think people who just disregard these problems forget is that number one, when you're a major bank or healthcare company or, or really any company that holds a decent amount of Power data, company. yeah, it really doesn't matter. Any in- company like that, like you said, you can combine aspects of different parts of these vulnerabilities. And let's say they get some guy in their building to tell them which ones they're accounting for, which ones they've just decided to try to air gap against, which ones do this and that. You can put in the effort to just have a targeted specific attack for one company. And no, they're not going to do that to your gaming PC. But the amount of money or damage, if you're a nation state perhaps, to be gained by attacking Something like a major bank, like the incentive is there to put in that much effort. And that's why or the electric so, grid. Right. And that's why it's so unacceptable. Like someone will go, well, you would have to do this and then do that and then do that. That's really complicated. And it's like, well, you know, most of the money AMD and Intel make are with these major corporations. And if there's a way you can, you know, there, there there's organized nation states that will put thousands of geniuses on looking for one vulnerability. Look at North Korea. Look mm-hmm. at so that, that's why it's unacceptable. And I will say this too. The other reason it would be unacceptable for your gaming PC is that you're probably not as careful with your gaming PC. And they can just take your, figure out your password. And they can figure out, they might not, no one's probably going to drive by your house, although they certainly do sometimes, and try to hack into your Wi-Fi or something. I, I have heard of that happening. But like, say you're in New York and you have, 50,000 people in a square mile, you can try to hack a bunch of people at once and they might uh, go to a specific type of forum. Like they know this is where a lot of, I don't know, people that work at these types of companies like to talk. And they're like, well, we can plan an attack looking data mining through this one server. And we know there's a thousand important people here talking. And then we can use that to hack them. There's all different ways they can find a reason to target you, even if you're not one of these major companies. I mean, everyone's under attack. Um, the things that most people are going to be attacked by is these uh, phishing attacks and, and your basic download files. You know that that's the primary way that uh, ordinary people get attacked. It's oh, yeah. like the basic. Uh, they, they're not going to go for attacking CPUs. Um, it's not worth the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're they're easier fruits. Uh, they're they're low more low hanging fruits. Easier effort to easier ways of getting access to whatever they want. So uh, that's why I'm never concerned about the, uh, and plus the performance impact on desktops, it's negligible. You don't even notice it. It's Uh, starting to apply a little bit though, like with Cascade Lake X, where they're like, oh wow, and these common applications, it's now 3% worse, even before you put security patches. Eh, You don't notice 3%. Well, if it becomes five or 10 though, well, I might not notice it, but some people do <laughs> for their benchmarking websites and stuff. But like, you know, you should see the way some gamers talk where it's like one product is 3% faster and they go destroys NVIDIA. And it's like 3%. I wouldn't say that's destroyed, but 
No, no. You, usually you don't feel it until you get past fifteen percent. Uh, usually you don't mm-hmm. feel. It. You're not going to feel it. And talking about common ways of hacking people, I mean, one thing that scares me the most, and this is a bit off subject, is I just know that. So there's been all these data breaches, like you know, let's say there was recently, I don't know, T-Mobile. There was Equifax. There's all these other things. Most going of them on. Are, are are password-based attacks. Vast majority. Yeah, I, I mean, heck, the when I remember in college, they hacked. Sony's PlayStation servers and tried to pull everyone's passwords from that. What I've heard is going on right now in the black market is there are groups trying to get a hold of as many of these password hacks as they can and then just make a searchable database of like 1 million passwords that have ever been used in history. And then what they'll do is when they try to brute force into your Facebook account or something, is they'll just have the GPU run through 1 million passwords that have ever been used before that they know someone's used before. There will be a situation where they'll have every possible character combination for probably 64 character passwords, every single possible combination. That most people have used before. No, no, every single possible combination. So you're saying they'll just add them up ahead of time and then like cross-reference them and try to brute force you that way? Well, they'll, they'll have dictionaries where they right. have every possible combination. And well, it's they they impossible that, if it's 64 characters. That's physically impossible. We're talking about the limits of thermodynamics, though. You, you, you can't brute force. Uh, I don't. I think 64, or was it? I'm trying to remember. I think it was 256 is where they say you quite literally cannot hack that. At least not with the known law. And I'm talking down to the amount of energy it would take to move one electron, the minimum amount of distance. So that's quite literally, physically, the minimum amount you could do to switch on and off. And there, like you, you wouldn't have enough energy to brute force like two fifty six bit encryption. So I know that. You know, least. actually, that reminds me of uh, how we set up uh, passwords, uh, machine password. These are not human password, but machine account passwords. Where we actually set, and this is this was going all the way back two thousand six. We set those passwords to one hundred twenty eight characters. Mm-hmm. So we, we figured that no one's going to brute force attack that. No, yeah, so I don't know about 64 characters. I don't think it would be that easy to have every combination of that. Um, I know once you get to 128, it's almost impossible. And 256 is, again, by the laws of thermodynamics, impossible. Like you would have to use the entire energy of like, like I think an entire solar system for 100 years to brute force it. So I do know it's it's uh, definitely you need to have a, a password at least 16 characters, at least over 15 characters long because they do have that. Mm-hmm. Anything under 15 characters, they got it. Well, yeah, and again, they can just make a shortcut then, right? They can just say, hey, we have all of the passwords and emails that have ever been used before. And they know if you're using the same email from that T-Mobile hack, they'll just say, oh, you know what? We know all the passwords that were used by these five com- anyone on these five companies. And it, they don't need to brute force a bunch of stuff. They can just, you know, it's not going to take much effort to search through a million options. And well, they yeah, just yeah. done. It's, yeah, it's uh, associations, you know. Uh, and you know, people using the same passwords for every login, that's bad too. Yeah, it's, it's getting to, it's getting to a very, uh, scary realization where you realize eventually we might need to move past passwords. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, passwords are, 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 are going to have to be moved on. And the other thing is that it's just, it doesn't work with the human brain very well. And anyway, you know, I mean, when I was, uh, working, uh, in the healthcare, uh, I took away all the passwords and I actually had everything accessed through certificates. Mm-hmm. So basically open up, 
They're, they got the certificates. Now, it's not perfect, but that means they don't have to enter and remember passwords. Mm-hmm. They just go right in. Boom. Which I'm sure they appreciate it. Now, moving back, though, so there was the last one was Netcat. What, yeah, is there yeah. anything that has come after that yet? Well, you got the MDS. That's the mm-hmm. second version. Yeah. Um, the problem with Netcat is that it allows a attack vector from a foreign machine. That's the number right. one. I've already been attacked before in the past by machines when, within the data center. So that was open season. So uh, while obviously I'm not going to expect them to anyone to attack me through this vector quickly, you know, I knew it would be a matter of time where you know something like that could happen. And I'd rather not wait for it. So that's when I decided, you know what? And it was starting to get close to uh, the fall. Typically, I don't make any server changes from January until June. That's because that's the busy time. We have to have that server running without any problems. So decided, you know what? I've already lost so much of my capability. I'm already consuming more power than I was planning on. That's when I decided, all right. Game over. Just get the epic. Be done with it. That's what I did. And so I guess that's kind of bringing me to another bullet point I had here, which is now that all this time has passed, we've seen all these things. Rome's been out. It's not just out now. And now (laughs) Intel launched that 56 core CPU that is not only is it stupid, but apparently no one can even buy it and still can't buy it. So it isn't even. No one will buy it. Exactly. But I've heard some people say they wanted to and they were like, oh, it's only to select customers. And they tried to search for which customers have bought it. It was like none. So it's just there so they can pretend they're keeping up with Rome. No, I'll, uh, I'll, do, I'll do say that the, uh, the 7H12, that's AMD's product, is also just as equally stupid as Cas- Lake, Cascade Lake AP. I mean, so what's that? that? I don't actually know. These uh, that's, uh, that was actually released uh, by AMD uh, in, when they had a presentation in Rome. Um, they released the uh, 7H12. It's a 64-core. It's basically an overclock mm-hmm. 7742. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I thought uh, HP was going to buy some for specific workloads. Well, here's the difference. Even though I regard that AMD product as stupid, the thing is that that product came out at the request of a customer. Right. The customer came to Altos, which is a French uh, supercomputer company, integrator, and they asked, and I would, I surmise that they would say that, hey, we love to have Epic, but can we get it a little bit faster? We want more performance. So sure, we can go to AMD. We'll see if we can do it. So Altus went to AMD and says, hey, we love your product, but we want it, our customer wants it to be a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So that's how AMD says, okay, we can do it. We'll overclock the 7742. And that's what they did. And that customer turned out to be, I don't know what the exact name, but it's the equivalent of the uh, National Weather Service in the United States. Mm-hmm. So basically they're going to use this supercomputer to do weather forecasting. They want as much uh, performance as possible. And they're willing. And so this product came at a request of a customer and the customer is actually paying for it. Mm-hmm. So while I think while it's dumb, at least that it came out because, because of a customer, it came out from a position of strength rather than from a position of weakness. And I believe it's like a 300 watt CPU or something. 280. Yeah, and yeah, you can cool 280. I can't imagine what you would need to I like because I know gaming builds, you know, only a little bigger than mine can cool 280 if you have really expensive cooling. But I don't know what you're doing to cool 400 watts. That's you're just going insane. Well, the problem is also it's very concentrated heat too. So how do you mm-hmm. get heat away? Yeah. 
280 is a lot easier to, uh, to, uh, move the heat out because every time you go to temperature up the amount of, uh, uh, the, the difficulty increases, uh, geometrically. It doesn't go exponentially. It doesn't go up linearly. And they're talking about eight of these things, 280 watt, uh, chips, liquid cooled in a one U chassis. And they're basically going to have several racks of these things. Jeez. Yeah. So it's pretty dense. Yep. And I think they say that it was going to each rack is going to consume about seventy kilowatts, which for a oh super wow, jeez, <laughs> which for a supercomputer is not that bad. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty dense computing performance, I guess, which is what they want. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, looking back on the year overall, like, just what are your like thoughts in retrospect of everything Intel's done, everything AMD's done? What are your overall thoughts on just their products, how the companies are doing. I don't know if you want to, can you talk generally about that? Um, they switched sides. <laughs> AMD <laughs> is uh, definitely, I mean, one thing is that when you hear their presentations and 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 their, what the leadership is saying, uh, they're talking about, uh, yeah, they're talking about performance, but they're talking about security, about uh, power efficiency, about increasing cores and threads. but Mm-hmm. I keep hearing about power efficiency, not just with enterprise, but also their consumer line. They keep emphasizing power efficiency, but all, but they're also emphasizing security constantly. Yeah. So that tells me. Yeah. So that tells me that they're actually listening to people like us. And I remember I talked with their, and we had a AMD representative that went to one of our professional meetups, mm-hmm. and uh, and I said point blank to these people, I says, hey. I did not choose your product. This is your Opteron stuff mm-hmm. because your you guys your chips are like thermal nuclear reactors. And I said to them point blank, I said I'm not going to pick your I'm not going to use your product until you get your efficiencies under control. Mm-hmm. So, and I think I think they are getting that word from other customers. It's not going to just be me. They're focusing on the things that matters to to us as customers. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I hear from Intel is. Uh, yeah, they're talking about uh, these packaging means. I don't really care about what their packaging means are. I don't. I, I just don't care. I don't care about what any of their Optane, their silly little Optane, and their okay. DL boots. Because they do the talk about that constantly. When I was at Hot Chips, they're constantly talking about the Intel package, the Intel ecosystem. You're buying an Intel I system. I don't care. Right. I don't care. It's mm-hmm. you know Optane. Who the hell? I mean, maybe some, but you know what? Why, why would you lock yourself in that? You know, and 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 you can use MBMV. There's other there's other products that'll do what Optane can do. And, and there's other else. companies working on similar technologies that'll be out. If not out now, I mean, I know there's other like direct competitors. I believe from West Micron Digital. coming out. You Go know, in a second, Digital, get their uh, HGST um, MCC and mm-hmm. Scale MP, which allows you to use. Uh, uh, specialized SSDs and basically combined as form of memory with your main memory. Mm-hmm. You know, look at that. So you're, uh, you're, because uh, that's the one thing I hear is I, uh, I've heard people in comment sections say things like, oh, well, a- a- Intel's playing 4D chess. They're making a package that's still better than AMD. And it sounds like you, well, you certainly don't agree with that. But do you know anyone else in the industry at other companies you've talked to at these meetups where they're like, well, the Intel overall package is important? Have you heard anything like that? Um, I can understand why it's important. Um, uh, because if you have 
it's a lot easier to manage one relationship versus a dozen. Mm-hmm. That's why they like monocultures. Mm-hmm. And 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 I understand that because uh, I was in a situation where when you have so many relationships, you just get spread thin, mm-hmm. and you can't focus on a few narrow core competencies. And so uh, you, your performance tends to suffer. So I understand it. I, I know where to come. But it's from. about the relationship, right? You don't think it's about they needed the Optane necessarily, or maybe, or is it both? You think there are I some think, people that actually I do think it comes want down to all of it. It's a lot to do with relationships. Relationships matter. I can give you an example where uh, I, when I was buying my Epic server, uh, I did not choose the technically superior solution. I choose a technically inferior solution, but I have reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And it's not just technical. In fact, it's kind of low down on the list when it comes to buying service. So it sounds like the way you see it is just AMD. It, you, you, that's what you just said, right? AMD is kind of just feels like the new Intel at this point in terms of at they least. Get there. They're, get, they're definitely getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a marathon. When you're dealing with servers, it's a marathon. The problem is back then... Uh, they built the product, which is a great product, but a lot of cases was ahead of its time. We just, the enterprise world, which just wasn't ready. We were mostly stuck on 16 and 32 bit software. And our software mix was very uh, proprietary type. We didn't have a lot of, you don't have these days where enterprises are building their own software stack. Mm-hmm. That's the difference today. Back then, we mainly procure software from outside vendors. And so, when the vendor says, hey, they want they tested it on Intel, they want it on Intel, if you go on AMD, we ain't going to support you. Well, you can't do that. So we were mainly stuck on And this, this is like 2006 timeframe, 2007. This is before the days of virtualization, when virtualization became popular. Okay, sure. Yeah, so in many respects, the Opteron was just too far ahead of its time and just wasn't, we weren't ready for that. And um, I mean, I certainly looked at it, but it just, it's not, it's not the right product for that time period. And, uh, and the problem is that AMD just did not sustain it. And, and the key is that you need consistency. You need to sustain your efforts. Mm. You need, you definitely need, you need your consistency and you, it's a marathon. When you deal with enterprise, it's a marathon. And that's something I've noticed AMD really emphasize more and yes. more, especially the second half of 2019. They're like, no, no, no. Zen 3 is Zen 3, not Zen 2 Plus. It's a big upgrade. Zen 4 is going to be revolutionary. We're going to keep increasing cores. We're going to keep working on security. Don't think that we're just going to rest on our laurels with Zen 2. It's going to keep coming. And they're like, and you know what? Zen 5 is coming. It allows us to plan. You know. Yeah. Because now I can extrapolate. Okay, I got my first Epic. Okay, I wish I can get Zen 3, but because of of Intel, I had to get Zen 2. But that gives me time to go and get the second Epic, which is uh, probably Zen 6 by that time. Mm-hmm. Which is, I've, I've pretty much said I'm going to get a Zen 2 processor for, you know, my everything. I only really have one mega rig that I'd use for all types of different stuff. And I was considering waiting longer or getting something older, but uh, that it, it actually applies to me too. AMD has convinced me that there's no, that as much as you might want to wait for the next big thing, but that there's going to be a big thing after that too. So you might as well just go now well, if now is the right the, time. Well, as long as the product uh, meets your minimum requirements exactly which is yeah figure out what your requirements and then 
make sure the product meets that requirements. And that doesn't just include the technicals, that includes the cost of operating, the mm-hmm. logistics. In fact, when it comes to servers, logistics play a much bigger role than just pure performance. And so AMD is also convinced you that they can do that as well. I guess, yeah, compared to the logistics of Intel, how is AMD doing by the end of 2019? Their ability to supply chips when they're ordered, their ability uh, I'm to- I'm talking about the, the server chassis. I'm not talking about AMD. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about. Um, and as far as AMD, um, we'll see. We'll see how they do. That's actually probably one of the few question marks I have left. Mm-hmm. Is how well they can handle the supply, the management of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So you already have, and that's actually one of the question marks I have because when I was buying my Epic, um, I was originally looking at a first a 24 core Epic and a 16. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just the time over to get to Milan. Uh, mm-hmm. That was your initial. Can't get them. Absolutely cannot get 16 and 24 core Epics. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a, a waiting list of two to three months. And Zen 2 Epics, right? Rome Epics? Yeah, Zen. And so I try to look at, okay, if that doesn't work, I'll go to Naples. At least tie me over. Mm-hmm. Can't get those. I had to go to number five on the list, which ended up being... You know the the seventy seven oh two P. It was my fifth. It was my fifth choice. So it was a choice I actually prefer not to take because that means I'm kind of committed. I can't consider Zen three anymore. If I choose the seventy seven oh two P. I don't. I I know that number, but I don't remember was is which generation is that Zen? That's one? wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Okay. So yeah, yeah. why can't you go to seven zero two P? Why does that mean you can't go? To uh, that chip costs almost five grand. Okay, so that's just it for now. Then basically, that's it. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I couldn't get the twenty four. So yeah, you are happy. You're happy at least that it's cheaper. <laughs> Later on, I, I realized that I got a pretty good deal on it. Um, although mm-hmm. actually, given the performance level of it, uh, I realized that they probably underpriced that chip. That chip actually should have been at least fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars higher. That yeah. would just fine. I, I would have been just fine paying even that much more. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, right now I'm running that Epic at uh, at only one point five gigahertz at the lowest possible level. I disable boosting. I run it at uh, only one sixty five TDP maximum, mm-hmm. and uh, and even that um, that chip fully crippled is at worst case scenario twenty percent faster than my Xeon without any mitigations, fully unhinged running. 20% is as close as I can get. Mm-hmm. But most of the performance gains I get was about 40%, 30 to 40%. And there's a lot, and there's actually quite a number of them that are at least double, mm-hmm. which is, I didn't expect that. And and the other thing that I, know, that I learned is that uh, my users have told me that they've noticed the applications were a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. definitely noticed it. Uh, in fact, uh, there was an there's a, there was an operation that I never was able to run because it would actually spin lock the Xeon and just lock it up. So uh, it's basically a monitoring program where I have to do, where I do a massive search, and and it's an automated process, but I can't automate it because it would spin lock the Xeon. Oh, even pre meltdown days, it, it was never able to run it. So you know, that's how much uh, that's how much I was running. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it's impressed you then. (laughs) 
Um, I was surprised. I, I have to admit, I was uh, I was actually very surprised. Um, one of the few pleasant surprises I've got, most of the surprise I got is I get usually very negative. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, how do you see things going over the next year then with Intel and AMD? I mean, how many more? And that could include anything. Honestly, open question. What do you think Intel's? What are you expecting from Intel's releases? What are you expecting in terms of vulnerabilities? And the same for AMD and all of that. I, the problem I see is uh, Intel's leadership is not taking security seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you look at the the MDS, they're basically patching one thing and then releasing a CPU. You can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got to get ahead of all your security right away. And even if you can't, and I understand, you know, maybe if you have to really do a series architectural change, it could take years. Well, fine, let us know. You know, let us know, give us the progress, be transparent about it. Stop hiding what's about to come out until the last minute. And, yeah, you know. and, and at least, okay, give us a roadmap on how you're going to solve it. And I'll guarantee most of the enterprise would be more than happy and more than willing to stay because switching is very difficult. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of left in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so every time these flaws come out, and all of a sudden it wreaks havoc on our capacity over and over again every three months, that wears things on people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wearing things. I mean, in my employer, you know how long it takes to get servers? No, I, uh, no. Nine to 12 months. That's yeah. why they're taking their, that's why they're decommissioning <laughs> seven year old servers. And so by the time it gets to you, too, there might be a bunch of new vulnerabilities and you just don't know. Well, uh, at this rate, I mean, it, it, they're coming every two to three months. Yeah, I mean, right. you're guaranteed you're going to have three or four. By that and, so, and so you don't see that changing. You expect new vulnerabilities every three months. And not only that, but Intel's not telling you guys ahead of time what to expect. You expect them to keep going. Now we're telling you it's, about this one. I, I don't really care about the individual vulnerable. We know the architecture is vulnerable. We get that. That that's that's not. It's what are you going to do to fully eliminate fully eliminate the vulnerabilities by rearchitecting to be secure in the first place? Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing that. And until I see that, they're not even at the starting gates. Mm-hmm. Because until they get there, okay, it's going to take about five years for Intel to develop a new architecture. Mm-hmm. Then. At least for me, I'm going to wait five they years. They started two years ago or something, or like one year ago even, I, I think. I, no, I don't see it, no. From what I see, no. No, they haven't even got. I don't think they got started. You don't think they've even gotten started? Because, well, so I don't, I doubt you've watched it. I know you don't usually pay attention to this type of stuff, but I've at least released this pretty big, is one of my longest videos, I think it was like 28 minutes long, going through all the information after talking to some people, you know, um, uh, anonymous sources that know people at Intel work at Intel, the stuff they're trying to accomplish that they've been working on. It's actually, it's funny. I know they've been working on a completely new, and I mean from the ground up architecture since 2018, early 2018, but that there's literally no indication it'll be ready until, well, like you say, five years until 2023 at the earliest. There's some impressive stuff that sounds like it might come in 2022, but it's still basically trying to just get over all the problems they have right now, a fixed version of their existing architecture. And that's probably not until 2021. That's uh, not going to cut it. That, mm-hmm. that, that, that architecture was really came from the Pentium three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is pretty, yeah. This came, this was 
during the time before virtual uh, virtualization and shared uh, shared computing environments. That's a good where, point. Yeah, it, it, the Pentium 3, it, it's a great architecture for the time it was developed in. And in fact, probably the technology probably limited its ability. You, you couldn't do the security mitig- uh, architecture because the technology just wouldn't let you, the, the fabrication mm-hmm. technology wouldn't let you. Plus, no one did virtualization back then. So it wasn't a concern. Mm-hmm. But now in this day and age where you have cloud computing, where you have shared computing environment, which is going to be the norm, uh, you can't. That architecture is not adequate. You have to develop an architecture designed for the workloads in the future, mm-hmm. and they're not doing that. And if they're just simply rehashing the same old, same old adventure, that's going to get hit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why. Okay, that's why if they put out a new architecture, I'm going to wait five years. I want to see how they do it. It better not have any security vulnerabilities in that same time period. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about minimum of ten years. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, I'll say one thing too to back up your. I think your assumption that they haven't even started the new architecture yet. One thing I was told is that Jim Keller, who was hired to work with them, one of his first projects actually wasn't the new architecture, although he's certainly working on that probably from the start a little bit. It was actually, they said, hey, actually the first project we have is you trying to remove all possible vulnerabilities from our existing one as a stop guy architecture to come out. And so I guess there is a chance he still was just trying to fix that. And maybe now he's working on the uh, I don't get any new indication. thing full-time. I don't get any indication, nor uh, I get any sense of confidence coming from the leadership of Intel. It's really their attitude, isn't it? I mean, when I was at Hot Chips, they had Jim Keller and Roger Kadori up there answering questions. And actually, they released like a five-minute, you know, like happy advertising version of that Q&A session. But I actually managed to record it um, with a camera I had on me I think I still the only recording out of that Q&A session. And it really just, it wasn't them. They were having a good time and answering questions best they could. But the person asking them questions, who was also senior Intel, just this cockiness and complete, it seemed like there's just this not acceptance of how big of a deal the problems were. Like how nonchalantly they were making jokes about MDS and stuff like and side channel and stuff like that. It's hard to tell. I mean, they. I mean that that may not be the right venue for them uh, for to know what the attitudes are. Uh, it's got to come from the leadership. Mm-hmm. It's got to come from the CEO from the top because this is really this is his ball, and he's got to take charge of that. And and he may not have the skills. He may not even be the right CEO. He's certainly trying, mm-hmm. uh, but he may. Well, not he's been be forced the- to take over from firing their last one too. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and and so I, I can't I can't completely be hard on him, but at the same mm-hmm. time, uh, I, you know, at the end of the day, he's got to take ownership of it. The problem is I don't know if he has the right skills. He doesn't. He's not mm-hmm. really a technical person. And so this sort of thing, you really need leadership right at the top because this is this is confidence that can make or break a company. Mm-hmm. And and how the CEO acts. Uh, dictates in many ways how his subordinates act and how they act is exact. And I think people forget that over and over. I mean, look at AMD before Lisa Sue and look at how Mm -hmm. AMD acts after Lisa Sue. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't be, it couldn't be starker than that. Yeah. And the thing is that security trumps everything. Uh, It trumps availability. Like I would allow systems to go down to protect the integrity of the system any day. Mm -hmm. I think any professionals. Oh, yeah. Because okay, system's not available. Okay, fine, you lose some business, you get some people upset, but eventually things move on. People move on. Okay. People forget and they move on. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, look at Facebook, look at Amazon, look at, you know, they've had severe downtimes too. They have severe outages too, but you know, eventually they come back and they move on. Mm-hmm. You get, you get like a severe security tech like Equifax. That's dead. Yeah. That company, that company may not exist in, in the next few years. That, that company's probably done for. Yeah, I believe actually, and again, I'm bringing this up because I remember the decision because some companies just kind of keep going while they're being hacked and try to like downplay it. I remember when PlayStation Network was hacked, they just shut down all online servers for PlayStation for an entire month because they said, you know what, we're not rebooting until we're 100% sure they couldn't take anything and that we they can't hack us again. So they just killed the servers and everyone was mad for a month. And they gave people some free games. They apologized and it was over, like you say. So, which I mean, yeah, you're right. It's like, and then you move on. It sucked at the time. I'll say that. <laughs> well, we also had a situation where a uh, main uh, major Linux uh, repository where we get, where a lot of people get software from was also attacked. Uh, they, even the PGP was attacked. And uh, that was uh, Debian. They had to shut down for a while too, for a few weeks while they clean up. This was uh, years and years ago, many years ago, probably like almost 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, so let me ask you, do you have any, uh, we talked a lot about the attitudes, how AMD and, you know, AMD's attitude, you seem generally impressed just with everything AMD's talking about now. I mean, do you have anything to say about any of the products Intel's been talking about, like Ice Lake server, the 10 nanometer server chips they've been talking about or any of that stuff? I don't care about any server chips from Intel until they correct the security prompts, period. Mm-hmm. Nothing. That means uh, if they have to first get the uh, security mitigation, uh, security vulnerabilities fixed and fixed for good, and I put them on probation for five years at least and see if there's any problems mm-hmm. in the field. Because I want to see multiple product cycles. And that mm-hmm. is before I even will consider them, put them under consideration. And that's assuming if AMD is kind of stagnating at that point. If AMD is not stagnating, by that point, you know, 10 years, most of your processes are already designed for AMD. Mm-hmm. So now you have to go through the whole validation again to go yeah. back and tell, what's the point? What am I getting from that? Especially if AMD is not going, if AMD doesn't stagnate and keeps innovating and keeps listening to our concerns, why bother switching? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this could be, I mean, if AMD continues like this, I may stay on AMD for 25 years. And that's the thing about servers, enterprises, that once you get a customer, it's hard to get a customer, but once you get them, you get them for a long time. And that's mm-hmm. why they put so much effort in marketing and sales and because it's a long-term stable uh, source of revenue. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, what I was going to bring up, like, you know, they've got these like 38 core 10 nanometer server chips coming and then they got these uh, Sapphire Rapids chips, which, again, are 10 or 7 nanometer and probably 10 and seem really interesting. And all, all of this, blah, 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 you know, whether it's 10, Next 14, nanometer, like it sounds like it does. And then, you know, they're supposed to got like 7 nanometer ones coming Next 2022. It sounds like it doesn't matter what I talk about, how many cores, what it's built on. Don't care. You, you just don't care. They've lost your confidence. Period. Yep. Done. Mm-hmm. And for AMD to lose, well, I mean, 
AMD is showing they're going to be innovating for the next four years. So I think that's a safe bet. But you're you're just saying it would take something pretty colossal from AMD five years from now for you to even start looking at any of that new stuff yeah. Intel's yeah. working on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let me ask you this question. So this is a reader mail question from John DeLuca, and he asks, what are the different, and I don't know if you can answer this, but what are the differences between branch prediction AMD uses versus Intel? Why are AMD chips not as vulnerable? For one thing, I, I think that they, they're they designing their chips really, they're seeing their new workloads of the future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most companies do virtualization, large ones. Yeah. Uh, you have clouds, you mean cloud computings. Yeah. Uh, and so they're basically targeting this architecture really for that kind of workload. So security is paramount because you have multiple different people sharing a resource. You did touch on that, that it, a lot of it probably is. And this is something I've emphasized on my channel over and over. It's like, oh, Intel was cheating by doing this and this and this. And I'm like, well, I think a lot of it is just how old their architecture is. Um, at least the way I said it was, if you let anything stay the same for 10 years, even a mechanical device, some hacker, some code break, someone's going to figure out a weakness because you can just start resulting to some ridiculous tricks. But you're saying like what a thing to keep in mind is this architecture has roots down to before this was even standard. And so it's not a surprise all of this stuff. Yeah, the whole landscape has changed uh, underneath the architecture. I mean, it's a great architecture. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean, I never thought... I never used a Pentium 4 or any of the Pentium 4 base architecture because it sucked. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the Opteron just was too far ahead of its time. It was also too risky given the kind of application. So I stuck with the Pentium 3 base architecture all mm-hmm. this time until we got into the uh, first uh, Xeons that can do uh, virtualization. I, I don't remember the code name, but it's, it's in 2008. Mm-hmm. And that's so I made that jump. But I skipped the entire Pentium 4 because it was junk. Mm-hmm. Complete garbage. Um, just like uh, AMD's uh, pre-Zen architecture was also equally garbage. Because it was a thermonuclear reactor. I wasn't going to put up with that. Well, let me ask you this. Max Valinsky writes in and he says, how far is it predicted Intel could be behind AMD with the addition of adding Four-way multi-threading, because I, it sounds like it's probably not going to be standard on Zen 3. I think there's a chance they could put it uh, four-way multi-threading into like a really specific customer's chip, but that's probably not coming till Zen 4 now. How far that's behind... Also, another thing you got to consider is uh, if you're going to have four threads, how, how much, you know, you got to have enough RAM to power that, to drive all those threads. Yeah, yeah. So if you have four... So here's the thing. If you got four threads, you got a 64 core, four thread machine. That's 256 threads. Then realistically, you need about four gigs per thread. Talk about a terabyte. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. So it makes sense to hold that for DDR5. Yeah. 128 gigs today is, mm. I mean, they've fallen, but they're still about like eight, nine to a thousand dollars per chip uh, per dim versus 64, which I can get for under 300. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one time, 120 gigs dims were like five thousand dollars so you need eight of them do the math yeah yeah that's a but so when that does happen i guess and supposedly we'll say 2021 i get well i guess uh, this is really two questions then just to even answer how far behind in performance per socket do you see and i don't mean their goofy dual sockets intel's doing i mean like their normal sockets that have 28 cores so far how far behind 
percentage-wise is that compared to a 64-core Rome? Would you say they're half as good, a quarter as good? I'm going to compare um, AMD's threads to Intel's cores because I, I will not trust uh, Intel's mm-hmm. threads. So 28 cores versus 128 threads, do the math. And then yeah. tack on on average about uh, 30% for the IPC. That's mm-hmm. what I'm actually getting. It's not 15% that AMD is averaging. <laughs> so, yeah. And 30% is kind of like on the low side. Yeah. So in your opinion, you're saying it's like five to six times better already. And then, so, and you're saying once you add SMT4 and it'll, I mean, Zen 4 will probably have like 80 cores, 128 cores per socket by then too. Uh, and then you, and then four threads you're, per course. You're now in double digit integer. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting into 10, 20 times better. Yeah. And, and actually good comparison is my existing Xeon, my existing Xeon which I retire after two years and seven months. Okay, that's a machine I usually will hold for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Two years and seven months, $10,000 that machine cost me. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can see how irate I am. Well, yeah. you're a very calm, measured person, so you, it's the subtle twitches in your face that make me tell if you're irate or not. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's angering when you just bought a 10 grand machine and have it crash to nothing and... Not even three, couldn't even barely get past two and a half years. Couldn't even mm. make three years. Um, if I can get like four or five years on it, okay, it's not the greatest, it, but at least I got some value. But I got almost no, I mean, the, the value just crashed on me. Mm-hmm. The, the server literally collapsed on me. So it's 10 grand plus the cost of operating the server over its lifespan, let's say eight years, uh, it's about like $22,000. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Epic that I bought and mind you, that's a 7702 P it's a single socket. Um, that's, uh, that is 64 cores. That machine I calculate would cost me CapEx and OpEx. I mean, the purchase of the server plus the operation mm-hmm. that server would cost, it does use a little bit more power. So I factored that in and it cost me about, it'll cost me about $25,000. So you're talking about like a three K difference. Mm-hmm. So the, the so the TCL between the two is pretty much the same, but it would take, I based on the performance that I saw, just having a server on hinge, it would take at least four of my machines with the mm-hmm. Xeon on hinge without yeah. any mitigation to equal mine. You put on the mitigation, everything. You're looking about seven, eight, seven to eight machines. Mm-hmm. So if you think about seven to eight times twenty-two, that's a hundred. That's Hundred over one hundred and forty to over one hundred and sixty thousand mm. dollars over eight years versus twenty five in the same time period. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add on to that. I mean, yeah, we're it, really it, just mo- iterating the same point over and over. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It, that's why it was actually cheaper for me, even though I spent ten k on this machine. I will replace it after two and a half years. This epic one. It would still be cheaper for me long term to to replace it even after two and a half years. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it was. That's how bad the financials were. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this. So Ethan Shantz writes in and he says, as Intel releases more and more security patches every year, it's becoming increasingly obvious that the way their speculative in execution engine functions is fundamentally flawed. It also seems unlikely that they could build a new speculative execution engine from the ground up without also inadvertently building in future vulnerabilities. 
With the revelation that even the hardware we use can be a security liability, how do you think we will change the way we approach security going forward? Gotta collect my thoughts. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good question. That's a very good a question. Second. You know, that's actually maybe a little bit over, uh, but I would definitely say is that don't share d- data. What I've saw in mm. uh, in in Epic's uh, technical briefings is that they're actually approaching their different parts of the CPU as different nodes on a network, and they do validation and mm-hmm. isolation between the different parts of the CPU. And I thought that mm-hmm. was a very interesting thing, is that they, uh, just like different computers on a network, they approach mm-hmm. the same methodology into different points on a CPU. Uh, and, and that goes back to the net cache attack, uh, which is that the problem was that is that all the different devices can access the same common cache for the CPU, which is mm-hmm. a bad, that's what created a vulnerability. Yeah, you're right. A lot of these vulnerabilities are just caching data in different places, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speculative attacks. Um, you know, you got to make a trade-off. You know, do do you want performance or you want security? If you want absolute security, you're going to have a very slow machine. You're not. Gonna, mm-hmm. You're going to have a machine that's going to consume way too much power for what it does. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of weigh the cost benefits at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is that most, fortunately. Most of these attacks are not easily attackable. It's still attackable, right? Not and 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 the most important thing is how long security is not is not really keeping people out. Mm. How many castles in the world during medieval times has ever been has ever been fully secure? They all been broken into at some point. Mm-hmm. It just okay. depends if they it's just. If it was worth it, and then if they want, really want it, then they'll just get it. I mean, no, no I'm talking about in all times. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, two, three, you know, maybe they were man and powerful back then, but then they fall in disrepair. Disrepair. They don't stay secure forever. The mm-hmm. most secure locations was the uh, Great Pyramids in Giza. Those two stayed locked in for a very long time, but eventually they all got broken into. So mm-hmm. nothing can stay secure forever. The question right. is becomes the question should be how long do you need this information to be secure before the value of that information goes to zero? Like, let's take a look at medical. Yeah, records. I mean that's a very good point. Yeah, I can't let's believe take the a look at medical records. Still, What's yeah. the value of a person's medical records 150 years after that medical record was created? Mm-hmm. Zero. The reason you want the medical records is because you want to take advantage of it when the person's alive. Mm-hmm. If you can hold it and protect it. After 50 years, that's fine because no one's going to care about the value of the records 50 years because the person probably retired by that point. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically security is basically is, is simply a race. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you keep it out long enough before the value of that information goes to zero? Because it doesn't make sense for a bad guy to go attacking, uh, right. from getting access to information when the information's value is zero. Let's take a look at credit card numbers. Okay, if I if the credit card numbers change every two years, that means the bad guy has to has to get the yeah. within a two year window. That's mm-hmm. all they get. That's why they don't go and go on some long winded goose chase to get credit card numbers because time is money, even for the bad guys. So mm-hmm. if you put if you phrase your security as a time race and a time game, you can make things secure. Even though you're not going to have perfect security, mm-hmm. 
And that's the way you should look at security. It's more of a tying game race, not how long can you not keeping people out forever, because that's not possible. No. Again, you give someone enough time, they'll get anything they want if they okay. actually want it. Yeah. But by then, what's the value of that information? Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got another reader mail here, and this one is long. I don't know what you're going to say to it, but I'm just going to read it because it looks like you put a lot of effort into it. So Austin Clark says, from what I understand, Intel's top end Agilix server products are heterogeneous. That is, they combine chiplets, 3D stacking to create mix and match products with many different technologies integrating into a single tightly coupled platform, high power CPU cores alongside FPGAs, AI accelerators, GPUs, high speed IO, sec memory, etc. How long until these type of systems become commonplace in the server market? Are we just waiting for more mature development software to make this hardware more accessible to traditional programmers? Is supply for these products an issue? I hear that AMD's chiplets future stacking and mix and match hardware, but Intel seems to already have it. And the underlying technology, to me at least, seems better. Why is nobody talking about it? So I guess there's a bunch of questions there. I don't know. Do you? I can pretty much say that nobody cares. Nobody needs it. Nobody wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes down to does the market want it at that point? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at Opteron back in 2000. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, look at Opteron. It's a great CPU, 64 bit, but nobody, nobody, everyone's on 16, 32 bit at the time. I mean, I didn't even upgrade, I didn't even migrate my systems that I was responsible for until, for, until, uh, to 64 bit until 2014. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. I stayed on 32-bit until 2014. And the reason is, there was no point to changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the benefit? I mean, it might be better, but but is it, you know, if well, you don't time need is, money. Is, is that a good use of time? Mm-hmm. Your time is limited. You don't have infinite time. And, and then on top of that, anytime you make a change, you're inducing risk. Mm-hmm. Although now the model of software is that you want to change and patch often quickly. And if you fail, fail quickly, but rebuild quickly. Because mm-hmm. that's because that's the new, uh, because that's security. Because security requires constant changes. Because that's how you stay ahead of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So the model of software cycle management is changing. The paradigm is changing. But going back to the Opteron, it was a great product, just too far ahead of its time. And then going back to the uh, the uh, the product that the the that person is asking about mm-hmm. no one really cares i mean even if amd put out that product no one's really going to be using it in fact the only ones that are going to be using it are these special hyperscaler clouds that's yeah. about it like amazon and microsoft and uh, tencent and in a lot of cadre of small ones like packer and linode and you also have digital ocean you know these all these cloud providers you know aws is another one um GCP, um, mm-hmm. they, those are the ones that are going to be one. And, and generally, they're probably, they, they probably have a custom built for them. So, uh, but the larger enterprise market isn't really going to need them or use them. In fact, the vast majority of the market, of the enterprise market, more than 60% are these kind of like small, medium businesses, mom and pop shops. You know, they may have, they, they may, have a few servers uh, running some basic apps to run their business. Their workload needs are so low that 
going to Epic is just a dumb thing. Like for them, I wouldn't even bother with Epic because it would induce a lot more risk on these companies. Mm-hmm. And these systems all run internally. They're not sharing. They're not serving anything to the outside world. And uh, and they generally are anywhere from four to four to eight cores with you know 16 32 gigs of ram at most mm-hmm. so the problem is that the one thing i noticed is that you know while amd's chips are cheaper when you factor in the entire platform amd's platform is actually more expensive than intel like i can get in for the like the really small medium business type service small servers mm-hmm. uh, intel is way cheaper and i can get get it much easily it's mm-hmm. much uh, they have better availability than say with the uh, amd and and that's also another factor. Yeah, and he he goes on to ask. Uh, AMD also doesn't seem to have the IP to create a truly powerful heterogeneous system. Intel, on the other hand, has their Altera IP X point, which I guess you're not impressed with. Uh, EASIC nope. design and soon GPUs. I suspect uh, with better GP GPU, highly multi-threaded applications with the CPU, uh, the kind of workload. That we don't scale, know, yeah. We don't even know their GPU performance. Yeah, I, I would. That, I, you saw it on my face. For listeners who don't know, I was like, I don't know if we can assume that. Uh, the kind of workloads that scale well with more CPU cores will likely scale better with a truly GP, GPU-like architecture. Well, I would also just add in myself, it's like uh, AMD is working on a heterogeneous mega APU as well. So I don't, I don't know why you'd assume Intel could do that and AMD couldn't, but. He says AMD may have the raw core count and price advantage for their traditional CPU market, but is that enough going forward? The one thing AMD's got going for is security. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I nothing, think they have more than core count and price like, advantage. Personally, like, like you mentioned the I IPC thing, and nothing is going to matter if you don't secure my data because mm-hmm. if you don't have security, you got no business. It's, it's game over. I mean, that's instant death for a company. Yeah, and I'm looking at it. he actually has more if you uh, can believe it. But I think that's a lot of what he's talking about is does AMD have you know the necessary IP and the more future aware, yeah, like um, like roster of IP and technologies to really compete with Intel long term. It's not the quantity of IP; it's what kind of value you deliver to market and what kind of problems you solve. What kind of uh, how do you solve people's pain points? At the end of the day, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. But I don't care about seven nanometers. I don't care about you know IO dyes and chiplets and all that stuff. It's the fact that you solve my problems. Yeah, and I would say at least so that. far, AMD's proving they've they they can keep up and keep innovating with whatever they I mean, do. Now. I mean, right now, um, I mean, for the first time, I have secure encrypted memory. I've never mm-hmm. had that before. Uh, but again, this is why. I wish I could wait on Epic for another year because I couldn't activate uh, something called secure encrypted virtualization. My software is just not qualified for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, it, but that's to be expected. Plus, I also ran into problems with Epic uh, too, with the kernel. And again, this is what I expect from two from a software state in two years. Mm-hmm. That's what I expect, uh, and I get it. And, and I've gotten these problems, but that's what happens when you're dealing with two-year-old software, not five-year-old software. And that's, right. why, that's why I say five to seven years. I don't, I don't say that for no reason. 
You know, a funny example I have actually is I have a Radeon 7, which uses, you know, the last iteration of GCN architecture uh, for the GPU. And I, of course, use that to render videos and all of this other stuff. And as much as their new RDNA is impressive on the things it's built to work well with right now, I tried to boot up a render the rendering software I use and just straight up couldn't use <laughs> the new GPU because the software wasn't there yet. And so people tell me, well, this new thing is a more efficient, it costs less. And I'm like, yeah, but... This architecture is proven and it just works. And so I'm just going to keep using it for all my professional I prefer, um Vega over Navi. Navi's not built for the kind of workloads I do. Yeah, at least again, for, for me as well, I, Vega impresses me far more. Or at least it works. It's a yes or no thing, actually. It's not <laughs> impressing me. It just works and the other one really doesn't yeah, work. And, yeah, that, and that's important and it's reliable. And, and uh, I actually have uh, a GPU in my uh, Epic server, which is mm-hmm. a... Um, an AMD GPU. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe Vega didn't impress right away, but it's like rock solid now. I don't know. I've been, uh, I've had much better luck uh, in terms of stability and reliability of uh, AMD GPUs versus uh, NVIDIA GPUs. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, what do you expect out of Intel's reliability with their GPUs? Or <laughs> which I could also be asking, what do you expect? You have to at wait all? for three iterations. Yeah. First iterate, you never consider their first iteration. Minimum mm-hmm. three iteration, five years. I'm glad they do it. I, 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 I'm, I don't mind. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. But at the same, at the end of the day, uh, if you're going to use this in production workloads, uh, it better work. It better be reliable, and it's better be efficient. And, and you're just straight up not going to trust the first gen, no matter what. Oh, you no, want to see what the second the is second. like. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't even touch. I wouldn't even touch until the third one, and that's only in uh, POC setting. Mm-hmm. or proof of concept. That means we're going to test and validate based on the third iteration. Mm-hmm. And then for production workloads, we may wait for the fourth iteration. Okay. I mean, I guess what would make you get it over the others, better price and stability after testing after the third or fourth generation? or I view uh, GPUs as commodities. Yeah. Like Intel or NVIDIA, they're all commodities to me. It's at mm-hmm. the end of the day is, can you give me the best value with the best efficiency that will work with my workload? Mm-hmm. And also, in, increasingly importantly, can you maintain security on the G, within the GPU? That means isolate the different processes running on the GPU from one another. Mm-hmm. This is where NVIDIA falls apart. That, I was about to say, I didn't want to misspeak because I don't, didn't remember exactly, but I thought there was a problem with that recently with NVIDIA. This is what this is where it falls apart. This is where and and yes, I do know about the uh, the the vulnerabilities from their drivers, but mm-hmm. that's not even the most important of it. It's the fact that I cannot isolate between uh, different processes on Nvidia. Not to mention, I can't even control the resource allocation as well as mm-hmm. uh, AMD. Okay. And so Nvidia is really designed for single workload, single yeah. app, single workload type of environment. And it's bloody fast. It's really it's faster than AMD, but it's really designed for a single workload, which I won't. I don't run it in that setting. And it's also best run when you run it, the application on a native host, which means I can't do virtualization on it because now I'm running the application native on the host, which destroys all sense of security, all the security boundaries. So because you're running on the on the actual host, you're not running within a virtual machine. That means you have to basically allocate a dedicated node a hardware platform for NVIDIA. And mm. I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's that's complete waste. It's funny you mentioned running multiple loads at once because 
I noticed with my Radeon 7 that I was able to render and play Battlefield 5 online at the same time. And it was actually my CPU that was the bottleneck. I'm running those two operations at I once. I am not surprised. And the, and the yeah, the Vega card was just like, didn't even notice the, the two workloads Again, running at it once. It depends on what your workloads are. Of, of course, I could not be mining and gaming at the same yeah. time. It, it you know, um, you use in, you know, you use NVIDIA where NVIDIA is best in. You mm. use an AMD where AMD is best in. What is Intel's best in? We don't know. We don't know yet, yeah. Yeah, we don't <laughs> So Nils writes in, and he says, for servers and large compute nodes, do they use normal networking interconnects like 10G or 50G Ethernet, oh, or is no. there another type of interconnect? Are there any more advanced ones in development? What would Infinity be better band. interconnects? Infinity, Infinity band, band in development? That's the, that's the big one, yeah. That's, that's low latency. So Ethernet. what do you use now, though? Not Ethernet. What do you oh, use no, now? No. Ethernet is just use it for management, but the problem mm-hmm. is Ethernet is a very high latency connection. Uh-huh. Yep. And I know so little about servers. Do you use CAT 6, or what do you use? CAT, CAT 5Es. Okay. Basic CAT 5 it's, it's, um, when you go to And so that's gig, lower latency compared to Ethernet, yeah, then. What else is 10, better? 10, um, 10 gig um, copper needs a CAT, uh, CAT 6. Mm-hmm. And um, and be, I have two servers, and the interconnect there is 10 gigs. And yes, I do use CAT6 for that. Okay. But uh, the rest, just CAT5e. Generally, you go past 10 gigs, you, re- you use fiber. The problem is that because of where I am, uh, you can have other people that can go in there, and they can end up bending the fiber too far. The problem with fiber is you have... Mm, yeah. you can't you can't really touch it. Can't you got to keep it stable because the turning radius they have a minimum turning radius. So if they bend it too much, oh. uh, that can cause connection problems. Mm-hmm. So because other people can access the rack, uh, yes, it's under supervision, but they can access it. You just can't have fiber. And so what makes in what you said infinity band? What makes that better? Low latency. Mm-hmm. I'm not. That's that's really an area. That's HPC. You know, I'm not as familiar with. I that. know. Uh, I know about it because uh, in, during one of those uh, professional meetups, we had a person that works exclusively in HPC, and we learned a lot from this guy. From the guy, that's how I learned a lot about the HPC stuff. And I remember this too. And you asked me about this earlier. Justin Parrish writes in. He says, "How did the undervolting and stability experiments go with the twenty seven hundred X in your home rig?" So I remember you were talking about that the previous podcast. This is a while ago, but. Oh, I haven't really. Unfortunately, I couldn't do it because uh, my Xeon was starting to was collapsing so hard that I had to uh, use it, uh, press it into service as a server just to handle the uh, the load. The uh, and do it quickly. Yeah, I didn't have the time. Unfortunately, the Xeon was collapsing too, way too fast. Mm-hmm. So well, I you were asking me about that today, though. Yeah, I actually. Um, Black Friday, um, usually I don't really care about it. Um, <laughs> uh, found I got uh, a 2700X and a motherboard. Uh, My brother did too. <laughs> yeah, for 130 bucks. Um, yeah, or, it's uh, insane. I think about $200, and then I had a case for like uh, 100 bucks. Um, and uh, I was just trying to keep the cost low because uh, I just got done paying my, buying my Epic. So I, that's that $11,000. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this one here is uh, really to supplement my other 2700 non-X. And the problem, the reason is that the my Xeon, which now I run it at home, the problem is that it's just sucking up so much power that 
if I can get a couple of horizons going, um, run them at 1.7 gigahertz, um, I'll probably consume, I know 2700 would consume about 25, 2025 watts at full tilt. Mm -hmm. So if I get two of them running at 50 watts, I can get run the same number of virtual machines and say 200 watts. You have two machines running at 50 watts combined Mm -hmm. versus my Xeon running at 260 watts. Now, (laughs) Now it's much lower. That's because I took out most of the hardware off, so that's why it's not going to consume me as much. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it was in the data set, it was consumed well over to three hundred watts. And my my uh, Epic right now is consuming three hundred and eighty watts. So you're talking about an extra fifty, sixty more watts, but you're getting like eight times the capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, that that thing is a, an absolute beast. Um, I throw a workload at it and just it's not filling up the machine. So it's almost it feels like a bottomless pit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess that's all of the reader mail I have. I think we hit almost all of the points that I had written down too. But was there, you know, we got a little bit of time left. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about, bring up, discuss that's going on right now? The, you know, like the floor is completely yours. You know, I actually uh, have uh, working on a little project. I was uh, planning to work on a little project probably about a year and a half from now. And uh, it's basically, it was, uh, you know, during one of the meetups, they, they had a, like a business with really old Sun machines mm-hmm. back in the 90s. And it's still yeah. running. Like, good golly, that machine would die. If that machine dies, then you're done. And uh, I mean, those days of you having to, and, and, Find the parts on eBay. Be oh, it's actually getting very hard <laughs> to get parts on eBay. Yeah, I was like thinking, is this a way you can actually emulate the software? And the software is critical for that business. And I was like, hmm, maybe if I could take uh, something, kind of working on a little project where I can run uh, a Solaris, an older Solaris uh, system. And why I want to keep the older operating system because you just want to keep it stable. You just don't want to make any changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, security is not as much of a factor as these things will be air gapped. They're going to be sealed off. Mm. So, uh, and they got no security anyway. So it's, it's besides the point. And then you can, and, uh, you run using KVMQ email, you can run Solaris on it. Uh, the spark I actually got it going. I was thinking, you know, I could get it. I got it running on Ryzen. see what we can do on Intel. Cause I'm sure there's, if someone wants it, they may want Intel. They may feel only comfortable with Intel says, so okay, mm-hmm. fine. Nothing wrong with it. They're the customer. And, and I was thinking, oh, hey, year and a half now, I can probably get a 9900KS when the prices drop down, because right now it's a little they ridiculous. <laughs> okay, underclock the hell out of it. You know, run it only at around 800 megahertz. Take a 9900K, mm. run it at 800 megahertz, uh, put it in a little 1U uh, embedded server chassis, uh, get a super micro motherboard, because they have something called IPMI, BMC IPMI, which allows remote management. and uh, Put uh, 64 gigs of RAM and uh, run it. Run these virtual machines on. You can run about up to 14 of them mm-hmm. on a 9900K, running at 800 megahertz. And the reason I want to underclock it that low is because these old software. The problem is that is that they don't allow the CPU to rest, so they keep sending interrupts into the CPU, and so they're going to run the CPU at maximum speed. And mm-hmm. so that becomes a problem when you have multi gigahertz machines. So they're going to run that thing as high as clock speed possible just for the off chance that someone's going to need the uh, access. Well, mm. that's a huge waste of energy. So by 
So since I can't control that part, if I force the clock speeds down as low as I can, um, you know, 800, maybe nine, 900 megahertz, under a gigahertz, that means even though they're pegging at 800 megahertz, it's so far low that they're not going to be consuming any kind of uh, power. And that's why, and the reason I chose a 9900K and not a Xeon E21 or 2200 is because I can't change the clocks on those chips. Mm. So while people, your your gamers are are buying these chips to send their clock speed, you know, basically putting these magical potions and uh, in their vain attempt to send them into the cosmos, send their clock speeds to the to cosmos. Get what's effectively five percent more performance? Yeah. I don't care. Just send their clock speeds into Cosmos. And the, and the same thing. It's with about the, the number, not even the performance. I know. They're drag racing. And mm-hmm. same thing with their rig. And same thing with people with their rickety Ryzen's, you know, their little Ryzen's and their little 9900 case. Mm-hmm. And, um, and instead, instead of just shooting them to the moon or shooting them out to beyond the heliosphere, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to drop that clock speed all the way as low as possible just enough so that you don't feel the performance impact, but that you also maximize your power savings. Mm-hmm. And then if you run your clocks, if you run the chips so low, that thing's going to last for a very long time. That's the other thing. I, you want that machine just to sit there and do nothing, not have to worry about. That system, you take a 9900K, underclock it to that low frequency, you probably can keep that machine running for 25 years. Yeah, probably. And that's music to a business size. So like, you get this work done, that machine will run for 25 years. This one little thing here that's yep. not that big of a deal, but and you probably don't have to worry about. 20, 30 watts. That's it. I mean, if you undervolted it, I can promise you, you could, you, yeah, you could get the whole thing down to at least 20 watts or, or less. I mean, um, when I played around with undervolting, I mean, this is old now, but like my, uh, like Haswell or Ivy Bridge quad cores, I remember getting those down to like 10 watts if I really limited clock speeds. Like you can really get them low. You have to undervolt it, but yeah. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, I stopped caring about clock speeds once we got past 1.4 gigahertz because what I find is that after that clock speeds, especially the applications I tend to run, right. uh, which are mostly multi-threaded, multi-core, uh, multi-threaded and multi-core applications, uh, they don't really, you don't get that much of a boost. And and you get you really get to a point of diminishing return when you get past two gigahertz. That's why I don't really care about. That's why I don't like my clock speeds. Computers running at two over two gigahertz. Because I'm not getting any kind of single performance gains from my applications. Mm-hmm. But when I throw the applications onto my Epic, it has so much cores mm-hmm. that it got it can get drunk on number of cores and threads. Mm-hmm. And and I also happen to think that the big cache on the Epic really played a role because it's so it's so much larger and because the code base the the code loops mm-hmm. are so much smaller they're very tight that's the characteristics of servers because server applications today they're tra- they're mostly transactional so they're going to have very tight code loops they're not going to have these long-winded uh serial amount of code which characterizes your, your games mm-hmm. uh, and so these these uh applications can pretty much stay in memory in in cache all the time i think that's a lot to do with their and the fact that you have so much cache and so much cores that it didn't need to flush it out of the cache as frequently as say with the xeon Mm. and i think that's why i'm getting that massive performance increase especially ipc 
You know, because I know AMD says, hey, you're going to get 15%. Hell no, I didn't get 15%. I, twice that. They had some presentations where they showed applications that get up to 50% higher IPC or more. I think there was one that was nuts. Honestly, I have to say, for the first time, I ha- I can confirm that. I I, mm-hmm. I actually saw it with my own eyes. Um, mm-hmm. That's you, Usually, I don't trust. You, generally, you never should trust what... Sure. You, you can never trust the performance figures by any company whatsoever. But I am shocked that it it actually did pan out. I actually did see it. And mm. I'm seeing it consistently. I mean... Yeah, AMD's a real straight shooter lately. They seem to give you exactly what they say they will. I still wasn't always true. You cannot, you can never give them a, you can never give anybody a pass. No. And so while I was surprised, surprised with Zen 2, I will not, they will, they have to prove me again with Zen 3. I will not trust Zen 3's performance. Well, Zen 3 is supposedly going to have even more cash per core than they might even have for some models. They might even have like an L4 you need to, cash. You need to see it working in. in oh, of working. course. Yeah. I'm just, you, you know, yeah, I think you, you like cash. You're going you're gonna to love Zen 3. <laughs> uh, I was trying to get. Although to, you already got Zen 2. <laughs> unfortunately, I was trying to get to Zen 3, but uh, Intel just didn't give me a chance. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, it, Zen 4 will be better than Zen 3, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, I won't consider Zen three, uh, Zen four, and that's because the platform is new, the memory is new, the memory is new. Yeah, you're right. Even for server, it'll be a new platform. Yeah, I I usually like to wait for the last generation before they switch to a new generation, new platform. Hmm. I want to get the platform just before it gets retired because it's more matured, way more matured. Maturity is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's why I said I don't like to be early adopter. Hmm. You know, this this find a Zen two is kind of really out of my typical pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's kind of true for me as well. I mean, I remember when people who bought Zen one stuff. They there were some stability issues. There were some BIOS updates that you needed, and Zen two has been more stable, but it still had a little growing pains. I think by now it is pretty stable. I mean, for my uses and i was planning to wait till zen 3 as well because for the same reason i've just i just want the thing to bloody work when i use anything i could want to use i think it's almost there already and again it's like uh well intel doesn't really give me a choice anymore so well that's why i wait you never get a new product at launch that's a dumb Mm -hmm. thing to do completely dumb whether servers or consumer uh consumer you gotta wait three months. Servers generally four to six months. Yeah, After three months actually. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, Zen two came out July for consumers. Right about now, it's very months. mature. It's a completely dumb thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I mean, if you have to, I guess you have to. But there's a decent chance that something just straight up might not work that you didn't expect. Well, I mean, I I had to with the with Epic, and yeah, I got hit. But mm-hmm. I mean. I was ready for it. I, I knew I've been doing this for a while, so uh, for a long time. So I mean, I, I knew that there was a chance, and sure enough, it happened. So, but I, you know, you dealt with it. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. And uh, but generally, it, if things are normal, it's four to six months for a server. Um, mm-hmm. uh, same. I mean, it's the same thing with the Xeon. When I bought the Xeon, uh, it was also at least six months into its uh, release cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, once I got the Xeon, it was like a couple of months later they came out with the. The X scalable, the Skylake based Xeons, which 
you know, once I look at it, it was like, it was horrible. It was, I believe that uh, Broadwell is actually superior to Skylake. <laughs> I've said that before on my channel for a bunch um, of other reasons. It's funny unfortunately, you Broadwell well. just absolutely gets destroyed by these mitigations. Yeah. You know, if not for the mitigation, it, it was a fantastic chip. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a Broadwell CPU. My brother actually has a Broadwell i7, which they made barely any of those for consumers, but he actually got one because some of some freak deal that happened. And, you know, that was always one of those things where I was like, everyone talks about Skylake, but I'm like, I don't know. I think Broadwell, the problem was they just couldn't make the chips because the process didn't work at the time. But Broadwell actually was a fantastic architecture. It's, it's, it's actually a superior architecture. So it's much more efficient than Skylake. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. It's more efficient. My brother's name is Dan's i7. I think it was like, God, I don't know if I remember exactly. It was like a 77 watt quad core. And then Skylakes was 95 watts. And I remember all these reviews where they're just like, ah, but look, it's, you know, 15% better, 20% better. And I'm like, yeah, he uses 30% more energy though. Yeah, I I, I saw that. that I I seen that. Yeah, I can do the math. Mm -hmm. So. I I wasn't going to adopt sky like whatsoever i mean that that if i had it if i was uh if i didn't we didn't have that mitigation i was staying on uh intel i would have just skipped that whole architecture jump on to the next that's what makes the security vulnerability so devastating because you got forced into the market mm-hmm. along with everyone else at the same time before they're even ready mm-hmm. and actually i want to definitely bring something up actually i was sure. talking yeah i was talking you know to uh People from Red Hat, you know, we're discussing about performance of Red Hat with Epic, you know, things like that. And then I had someone, you know, approach me and told me about his story about his problem with Intel at a major hospital in New York City. It's not Belleville, but it's a big, big hospital. I know what it is. Uh, I'm not going to uh, disclose it. Sure, and you they don't just, need to. And they just got done in, around the same time I got my Xeon over a million dollars to refresh the entire servers mm-hmm. and they just got and they're all Xeons and right. when they put the mitigation down they lost half over half their performance <laughs> they and lost $500,000 <laughs> they just got well over a million dollars yeah and this is a hospital they're not full of money too and and so I was just like are, are you absolutely kidding me mm-hmm. and and they actually had to use their open power servers to basically migrate things from their Xeons to open power, which is for their Linux workloads, yeah. uh, workloads that are more open source, they can move them across. Mm-hmm. And they basically put the open power servers in front of the Xeons. That just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Usually the open power servers, which are mini frames, they're one step below the mainframes. They usually are well protected by Xeons, by the x86. Mm-hmm. The x86 usually is on the outside. And then your your, your much bigger architectures like your open power mm-hmm. and your Z architecture, which is the mainframe, they're sitting in the center. Mm-hmm. They have to reverse. They have to put the open power to protect the Xeon. I was like, mm-hmm. that's weird. That just doesn't happen. But they had no choice because they cannot replace these machines they just got them they just yeah. finished them and it was just an awful timing and it completely devastated their uh their servers mm-hmm. and they're they're out of room they're out of room in terms of, out of compute capacity yeah i know it's, yeah 
like you literally physically they're out of room. They can't do this thing where they buy more, nor do they probably want well, to. It's a million dollars. And, and, yeah. and here's the thing. Imagine you're in this hospital and mm. you did have the money and you bought Cascade Lake. And a couple of months later that came out MDS version two that yeah. takes out 20%. And yes, I, I saw the drag race benchmarks from, F uh, P H O N that that web that Linux. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Veronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just couldn't pronounce the name. And uh, they say about like 15 percent. I know double it. So anything I see from them, I'm just doubling because that's what I see. Uh, <laughs> that's been the history. So it's more like 20, 30 percent, 20, 25 percent. So if you are buying Cascade, so you bought Cascade Lake, and now in a few months you get hit with this thing, you know. So the rule of thumb is when I, if I had to buy Intel hardware, I cannot consider their threads. Their threads don't count. Mm. So when I count, so when I do a comparison between AMD and Intel, like I said before, it's a, cores uh, versus AMD threads, threads right? yeah. AMD threads versus Intel cores. Mm. So, so a dual platinum 8280, those are 10 K 10 plus K CPUs mm. dual. Okay is less than a single 32 core epic mm-hmm. a uh, a single 8280 is the equivalent of a 16 core epic which is their low end which is mm-hmm. the low end epic the sweet spot in terms of xeons is like anywhere from 12 to 18 cores yeah kind of mm-hmm. like six, 14 16 cores are like kind of like your sweet spot and you put four of them there. That's the only. That's the equivalent of a 32 core epic. Yeah, I actually did a video on the real fair price of Cascade Lake X because I know they drop prices um, from 2,000 to 1,000 for that 18 core, and I was like, well, I don't actually think that's a good enough price because if you look at no. it compared to the 3950X, the 3950X is stronger <laughs> with less cores. It has better I/O. Well, not better I/O. I should say that it has comparable, so you can't even really say. Intel is that much of an advantage in that regard, at least for most users that would consider these types of things that aren't just going to get you know a server chip. And when you look at that, I, I and then I come to the conclusion of like, and then it uses double the energy of this AMD 16 core I'm looking at. And so I think it should be worth half as much. But at the same time, even if it was worth half as much, the fact that I don't know how many more vulnerabilities are going to show up. 350 makes, is a good price for that chip. Yeah, that's what I would. I think I can be like 470, but no. like. 350. But I and yeah, but I still wouldn't buy it at 470 because I don't I can't yeah. trust it. It'd have to be like 300 bucks or something for me to buy it. Yeah, yeah, brand new. Because mm. then the deal would have been so good. Because now it'd have to be an insane deal. Like I'm willing to turn yeah, off hyper threading and yeah. Well, well, desktop you can just enable hyper threading. You'll be fine. It's servers you just can't do that. That's the problem. Because mm-hmm. you, you're running if you're especially you're doing virtual machines. Security is everything. Mm. Um. And so you cannot run on hyper-threading. Desktops, you can get away with it. Um, uh, that's why I never worry about, you know, if you want to play, get an Intel machine to play games, fine, have it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Uh, in fact, the net cash attack mm-hmm. couldn't be done on a uh, consumer, on a Intel consumer chip. It's only on Xeons that, that okay. has, yeah. It, net cash wouldn't even be a factor in uh your 9900k it's invulnerable because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have the feature necessary to commit the attack so yeah so, 
Well, so I'll say this. I need to make dinner soon, so I am actually starting to run out of time. But is there any last-minute thing? I think we covered a ton. I do want to say a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say uh, condolences to, uh, I think there's a U- uh, YouTuber that uh, unfortunately passed away from a sudden illness in Taiwan. He did, yeah. Um, I didn't know him, but it was sad, yeah. Yeah, I, d- I didn't know about him. and. You know, uh, unfortunately, his contact just wasn't relevant for my, uh, for what I do. But uh, do want to say condolences, and I also wished um, uh, a South African uh, YouTuber, the the UFD couple, tech. Yeah, the, the the South African couple, the their child yeah. had uh, a, a severe illness, and he's going through hard times. I want to say best of luck. I do say is that I was a sick child myself. I was. Uh, for 20 years, been battling all sorts of different health issues. Um, I'm a lot better now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, when I turn to my late 30s, my health really starts to improve. I'm not getting sick as much as I used to, so I thank God for that. But uh, I know the challenges, and uh, um, and I wish him all the luck. And you know, your child's worth everything. So mm. I do want to say uh, best of luck, and uh, hope and Make sure you get the best, no matter what. And I want to say uh, Merry Christmas and uh, have a very prosperous New Year uh, to everybody. Uh, it's a humbling and honor to uh, be on a podcast. It's I, I really uh, I, I didn't know what it's going to be like, but actually, surprise people really enjoy it. Uh, I was shocked by it, and I'm very humbled by it. Uh, I really enjoy uh, talking to uh, you through you to the audience on what I do. Uh, what we do. Um, well, they had some really good questions for you this and time they're ex- as well. They're awesome questions. I really like them. And I really, uh, you know, I like I like to share what I learned, uh, all my knowledge and experience and wisdom mm-hmm. uh, that I gained in my career. Um, it doesn't make sense to take that stuff to your grave. I mean, what's What do you do it for? You do it and then you want to pass it on. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to have a legacy, you know? Yeah. You know, one thing I will add on, though, about UFD Tech, I've never addressed it because, frankly, I didn't really know him. I mean, I liked some of his videos, but uh, I think a lot of people kept like posting comments like, you know, uh, well, UFD Tech's gone now, this, or make sure you donate a ton of money to help him now. And uh, well, first of all, he's not gone. He's still making videos. Second of all, uh, yes, giving money always helps. But what I would say is he's a pretty large channel. I'd say the best thing you can do, in my opinion, to help him is if he does disappear for a while, just stay subscribed to all of his stuff. And when he comes back, be there in full force supporting his videos again. I don't, he's moving to the US. It's not really a a money issue to my knowledge. It's he's moving to the US because he just can't even get the healthcare in South Africa his son needs. I don't think it's a money issue, guys. I think, I think it's a, he might disappear for a while. So the best thing you can do to support UFD Tech is just don't forget him because I'm telling you, he's not going to go away. This is what he does. And when he comes back, just make sure you're still subscribed. That's that's his uh, that's his livelihood. That's how he pays the bill. That's how he uh, uh, provides the care for his son. Mm-hmm. And 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 no matter what, his son is number one priority. That's his child. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah. So like. Just make sure you forgive him if he's gone for a week or two and be there when he shows back up because that's what he really needs because he's he will be back and I know he'll keep making videos. And if he's anything like me, and I'm sure he is because he's on YouTube, he won't be able to stop himself from making videos because he does it because you wouldn't be on YouTube unless you enjoyed it. 
I mean, yeah, I enjoy what I do in the server world. You know, mm-hmm. I guess that's the final advice I would say to everyone is make sure what you're doing you enjoy. Or I know that's such throwaway advice. You know, do things that make you happy. You're almost saying nothing, but uh, no, I think people forget that though. You know, maybe ask yourself. Yep. But yeah, so I guess. I guess we'll end the episode on that note. And I mean, yeah, I mean, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and thank you for joining me for this episode before the very end of the year. I mean, this is this will be the last episode before the end of year series rolls out with me talking to Dan and then Chris and then Paul and then Cortex. Those will be pre-recorded and just looking back on the entire year so you can have a, extra content to listen to while you're driving back and forth between family members. But uh yeah, that thanks. Is important. Thanks to you, individual one, for being the last new episode to be recorded and released within the same week. Thank you, and thank you for having me. And Merry Christmas. Yep. All right, I'll go then. Have a good one. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me. Tom of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice, share it with your friends, and if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course... If you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On December 6th, 2019. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Paraj, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Matthew Rubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Carl Marco, Otterwise Tech, Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Giant... Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Night Rogue 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schoff, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Elethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg G. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Winey Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, John, Jan Rohner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Carbon Cry, and Sadler Sadler. Thank you all, and thank you to Sahara for the music.